Yeah, the the one, the storming, the one that's that's out now. Um, it was set in 1920s uh, Western Nebraska, which obviously not from the 1920s, but I am from Western Nebraska, so that was really it was a familiar thing for me to write. It was easier, and this other one was set in 1820s um, London which obviously is not where I'm from in any sense, so there was a lot more research involved, which was a lot of fun. There is, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed, and bleed, and bleed. I'm J.S. Leonard, and you're listening to Bleeding Ink, a podcast for fearless authors. This is episode 20 if this is your first time listening to Bleeding Ink, head over to bleedingink.fm. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-I-N-K.fm and check out all the episodes. I've interviewed New York Times bestselling authors to award-winning editors to book sale geniuses, all of which will teach you how to engage readers and change lives. Tune in every other week on iTunes or Stitcher and stay up to date by following me on Twitter. That's at JSLauthor. Or visit bleedingink.fm where you can sign up for the mailing list. And by the way, we are doing a giveaway and I will announce it at the end of the episode. It ends two weeks from this episode's air date. Stick around for it. It's really good. So daunting endeavors often start with a sketch, perhaps on the back of a napkin, a few words sitting above some squiggly lines. These seedling notions are the genesis to boggling achievements. Words are power. They provide the scaffolding so that larger ideas may stand firm, and to assume this isn't an effective method to develop a novel is silly. It may not be the only method, but a method it is, a method called outlining, and this method has been judiciously applied by the likes of Faulkner to Follett. Outlining allows the author to hammer out the knotty bits of a story's shape and aids them in a few ways. It frees the mind of pesky plot corrections as the author undergoes the overwhelming task of writing prose. It maps a series of waypoints toward which the author may confidently point their pen. As Anne Lamott states to us in her self-deprecating and practical writing guide, Bird by Bird, I go back to trying to breathe slowly and calmly. And I finally noticed the one-inch picture frame that I put on my desk to remind me of short assignments. It reminds me that all I have to do is to write down as much as I can see through a one-inch picture frame. This is all I have to bite off for the time being. Ladies and gentlemen, imagine your one-inch frames all lined up and awaiting your pen. Just show up, fill in the frames, and a novel emerges. It's a beautiful way to work. K.M. Wyland is my guest today. She is the award-winning author of several fiction and non-fiction gems, two of which we focus on in our interview, structuring your novel and outlining your novel. There's a little something here for every writer, whether you pants or plot or a dash of both, and you are sure to take away immediately applicable techniques you can apply to your novel or any writing endeavor. Here she is. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Today, I have K.M. Wyland, or, or Katie, how we're going to refer, refer to her in the podcast. Um, on, the, on the podcast today, I'm very excited to speak with her because she's written several books on how to help writers write better stories, structure their novels, outline their novels, and she herself is quite the author. Um, Katie, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, I appreciate it. So for those listeners who might not know who you are, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, this is always probably the most boring question that anybody can ask me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I have been writing for a long time. I like to say that um, 
stories are kind of my language. My very first memory is actually of myself up in a treehouse when I was three or four at a family reunion telling myself stories. So wow. that's always kind of been my bent. And mm-hmm. um, at this point, I have written four novels. I write historical and speculative fiction and kind mm-hmm. of any crazy mix of everything in between that. And I also do a lot of um, teaching and mentoring of other authors through my website, Helping Writers Become Authors. And I've written about eight, I think, at this point, about eight um, writing how-to books. Yeah. That's great. About what age did you start formally writing, like writing novels or books, um, you know, things, longer form fiction? Well, I started when I was about 12. And actually, I I never wanted to be a writer. It was never something when I was young. You know, I love to read. I love stories. But I never thought, oh, yeah, I'll be a writer when I grow up. Uh-huh. I was totally horse crazy and um, uh-huh. thought I'd be a veterinarian until I saw a calf being born on television. And that was gross. So <laughs> I'm <done> with that. <laughs> and um, moved on. And, and for pretty much all the way through high school, I thought that I was going to end up training horses. So I started writing. Be- really just because I had these stories in my head and I just, for myself, I just wanted to write them down so I wouldn't forget them. I wouldn't lose them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, it just kind of ended up becoming this thing that took on its own life and, and uh, literally, you know, it took over my mm-hmm. life, basically, mm-hmm. which ended up being a really a very good thing that yeah. uh, took me in a whole new direction. When did you end up uh, finishing your first novel? I actually, I think I would have been 14 or 15 probably when oh, I wow. finished. Okay. Yeah. Which, needless to say, it's like something that will never see the light of day and is buried in the <laughs> bottom of my closet. Well, how many books did you write before you're actually releasing one to the public? I wrote four, four novels. Four. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. Well, they <laughs> so, were all pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to get the bad ones out. <laughs> yep, very true. Um, so, as it stands now, of the, of the books you have published, I mean, which stories do you feel are your, or what story do you feel is your greatest accomplishment? That's hard. You know, I feel like every story is, I like to say it's its own adventure. So Mm -hmm. they all come with, you know, different sets of challenges that have to be overcome. But I mean, of course, I have to probably go with the most recent one, um, which would be Storming, which is my historical diesel punk kind of Mm. a mashup story. Um, Primarily just because, you know, at this point, that's the one that has shown, shows what me at my furthest a point as an author to this point where I have really, it, feel, it felt like everything came together in that yeah. book really, where um, everything that I had been learning about structure and character arcs and all of that just really gelled. And it, it was just, it was just one of the special writing experiences where everything worked from start mm. to finish. Mm-hmm. And I was really happy with how it turned out. So of course at that point I'm like, Oh yeah, I've, I've totally got this writing thing licked and it's going to be so <laughs> easy yeah. From this point on, and, th- and then the next book that I worked on, which I just finished the first draft on here recently, uh-huh. and it was like the hardest book yeah. I've ever written. So the whole idea that you know you ever get this writing thing completely licked, I think, is unfortunately not true. <laughs> well, it's not fun if it's not challenging. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I agree with that totally. I, so, so w- where where did the writing craft go right? in the previous book and where, where was it a struggle in this latest first draft? You know, that was something that I was definitely asking myself. Uh-huh. Um, but I think what I came up with finally was I really think that there are three factors in what makes a writing process comparatively easy. 
And I think the first one is um, that you, you think about it and you're in the sense that you're prepared for what you're going to do. You've studied the craft and you've um, done your preparation work up front. So you know where the story is going. And obviously I did that on both books. Mm-hmm. And I think the second thing is that you don't think about it in the mm-hmm. sense that you're not sitting there at the keyboard during the first draft, obsessing over every paragraph that you write and getting, you know, just sucked into the whole internal editor uh, nonsense. And I, that is something that I did struggle with on this last book. So I, have, I go through periods where I have to kind of retrain myself to write quickly because if I'm writing quickly, then I'm not allowing myself to sit there and, and think about things too much. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing I think um, is you have to marry yourself to the right material. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately Storming for me was, it was just a really easy book to write. It was set here in my hometown. Mm. Every, you know, the, the main character, he talked like I do. So mm. it was just easy. It was fun. Mm-hmm. And the other book was, it was, a, it was a much harder story thematically. Um, it was set in uh, 1820s London. So the research was a lot harder. Mm. So I think, you know, to some extent we can plan ahead and marry ourselves to the right material. But at the same time, I'm not saying that we should, you know, always choose the easy stuff. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, some of the stories that that are in us to be told are not necessarily going to be easy ones Mm -hmm. to tell. So that was yeah. that was what I came up with and was kind of comforting to me just in oh I haven't lost it after all there's good <laughs> reasons why this book was hard after the last one was so easy. How, how you know I struggle with this cuz there's 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 the idea that you know you get a thousand words out in a day but but the thousand words doesn't doesn't always involve the the research and just the thinking behind you know the words and and do you find that I mean do you count research as quote unquote writing time or do you have to um, get a quota in on top of the research. Yes, I do count that as yeah. writing time. I count outlining, I count research, and I count revision um, is all writing gotcha. in the sense that I, I write every day. I'm doing one of those things um, during my two-hour writing slot that I, I do in the mornings. That's awesome. That makes me feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my thing is, you know, make it easy for yourself. We don't, right. writing's hard enough. We don't oh, have God. to continually guilt trip ourselves over things like that that's true that's true so about about easing uh writing or trying to make it a little bit a little bit easier um you have a book called outlining your novel and Mm -hmm. um so so why outline or why not outline well for me it kind of goes back to what i was just saying um i like to make things easy for Mm -hmm. myself yeah and for me outlining is huge in doing so because it allows me to work through a story and all its potential outcomes and all its potential problems it with the least amount of work. Because if I'm doing that during a first draft and I'm just writing away and discovering things and, oh, this looks like fun, so I'll, I'll go down this rabbit trail. And then it turns out it doesn't work or mm-hmm. I don't know where it's going to go or I didn't set it up right. And so I've wasted all this time and effort in actually writing you know this beautiful prose and the dialogue and the dramatization where if I can do that in an outline you know where it's this sloppy messy thing where I don't have to get the words perfect and I can just explore everything as quickly as possible and figure out what's best for the story then I save myself so much time and so much effort in the Mm -hmm. long run so it's also the best way to make sure that you're creating a story that reaches its best potential 
mm-hmm. because I think we tend to get lost kind of in the all the minutiae mm-hmm. of the first draft, and it we were so deep in a scene or a particular moment in a character's life that we can kind of lose sight of the bigger picture, yeah. and we're not always seeing how the whole story is hanging together. Where if you condense it down into kind of the micro picture of the outline, it's much easier to see what's going on and to make sure your story structure's doing what it needs to do and the character character's arc is cohesive. So between those two things, outlining makes my life easier and it makes my stories better. Mm-hmm. Those are, I think, the best reasons for outlining. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your outlining process. Like, how do, how do you approach it? Well, first of all, I would say that um, I am going to tell you about my outlining process here, but... I always encourage people to make sure that they're finding their outlining process. There's no right way to outline. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, find kind of a, a mix and match between outlining and not outlining. And and this is my approach to how I do outlining, mm-hmm. which is pretty in-depth. Um, but what I'd like to do is I like to start um, with the small picture and kind of just work it up to the big picture. Mm-hmm. And when I when I come up with an idea for a story, usually it's going to be something that sits around in my head for a couple of years because I'm I'm working on other things and I don't mm. have time, you know, to always jump right into a brand new idea. So mm-hmm. I guess to kind of just sit in the back of my head and brew, mm-hmm. which personally I find really important and valuable because I think that my best ideas are always the ones that are kind of welling up, you know, from my subconscious and my imagination rather than something where I'm sitting down and actually consciously plotting step-by-step step what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So I start generally with, you know, pretty good. It's still vague, but I have six to a dozen or more ideas for scenes that I know I want to happen. So there's a shape to the story before I ever sit down to outline it. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I do is I write a premise sentence just mm-hmm. to kind of you know, gel the whole thing so that I have an immediate idea of what I'm doing. And I make sure that I'm listing the protagonist, um, the conflict and the antagonist that's getting in his way, what he wants, and kind of the big event that's going to kick the whole thing off. Mm-hmm. So I know that right away. And then what I do is I sit down and I like to do my outlines in a notebook. I like to write them longhand. Oh, you, write, you actually use a pencil. My a handwriting pen. is just, yeah, with a pen. <laughs> an <laughs> analog an instrument pin, yeah wow that's my handwriting is like atrocious so there's i don't yeah. know what it is but there's something about um writing longhand that just kind of frees me from my yeah I've, I've heard that that some writers that they need to do it that way like jk rowling writes longhand so there yeah. you go <laughs> yeah, i don't do my first drafts that way because by the time i get to that point i like i like the structure and kind of the clean perfection of you know writing in a word processor at uh-huh. that but during the outline, it's like my raw creative stage. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So it's during the outline. Got it. Okay. And um, anyway, so if I start listing all the scenes that I've already come up with that I know I want to have happen, and that gives me kind of my skeleton of where the story's going to go. And from there, what I do is I start connecting the dots between all these scenes and figuring out, well, you know, how do they get from this scene idea to this scene idea and what has to happen in between? And I do um, what I call the what ifing process, where I'm really just kind of throwing all of these ideas onto the page and really just brainstorming 
all of these crazy and random and sometimes stupid possibilities. But I'm trying really hard not to censor myself because I want to get past the obvious answers and start looking for things that, you know, are unexpected and really interesting angles to explore. Mm-hmm. And I just keep doing that until I basically I run out of questions for myself. You know, I'm always trying checking myself, you know, trying to find plot holes and identify that and fill it in. So once I've done all that and I feel like I've pretty much answered all the outstanding questions about the story at that point, then I'll kind of start working on um, particulars like um, character interviews and backstory, uh, really getting a sense of, you know, the characters that are going to be important in the story. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of builds in the, the whole subtext for the story and helps me with character motivations so by that point, I've really got a really good sense of the story, and I can start working on it scene by scene in an outline, where I'm, I'm particularly focusing on scene structure, mm-hmm. which is where you divide the scene into two different parts. You've got the action half mm-hmm. and the reaction half, and you mm-hmm. can divide that further down into the character having a goal, which is met by conflict, which ends in some kind of semi-disaster usually, mm-hmm. which then prompts a reaction from the character, which um, it, you then can set up a dilemma that he's then faced with, which mm-hmm. leads to a decision, which then leads into another goal and the whole cycle repeats itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm focusing on that and trying to create properly structured scenes that all build into each other. And I just you know go through what I already have learned about the story and work through that scene by scene until I get to the end. And at that point, it's basically complete and I put it into the word processor Scrivener where I can access it when I'm ready to start the first draft. I was going to ask which tool you used. So it's Scrivener. Yes, I love Scrivener. It's yeah. something I started using not too long ago. I'm going to say a year and a half ago. Yeah, Scrivener but changed my life. Scrivener enabled yeah. me to write my first book. It yeah. actually was, I was like, oh, this isn't linear. Oh, that's just, this is how I think. I don't actually think in Microsoft <laughs> Word. <laughs> yeah, Scrivener yeah. is fabulous. It's, yeah. it's, I love how adaptable it is to different people's processes i think if especially if you're an outliner um scrivener is just like a godsend you know what i mean yeah yeah i felt like a kid in a candy store when i first exactly so that's interesting so your outline process sort of you write your log line or your premise line Mm -hmm. Uh, about is that the same thing pretty much the same thing yeah i use a log line template so yeah. yeah excellent so so when you're when you're sort of sketching out the scenes do you um do you like take a look at your genre and say okay I've got a few obligatory scenes that I need to get in there. Do, do you ever follow that sort of formula or maybe some genre conventions or do you just let it ride and just go with what <laughs> your, your heart says? I'm kind of a crazy person, honestly, when it comes to genre. It's like a marketing nightmare because I'm always <laughs> somewhere in between all these genres. Yeah. But no, I don't. I mean, obviously, I'm aware of genre conventions and things, but it isn't it isn't something where I'm thinking in the sense of a genre formula. Mm-hmm. What I'm really conscious of and, and aware of is more just the general three-act structure and make sure, making sure I hit all of my important beats. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will sometimes make like a list of um, all the things I think are expected in a story of this kind to, mm-hmm. so I can see which ones I definitely do want to hit mm-hmm. and then which ones I can kind of exploit and go beyond to explore something that isn't generally seen in this type of story. Right. Interesting. Okay. So you've got your outline done and you've entered into Scrivener. Okay. And you're starting to, you're starting to actually write the scenes. What happens if you have a structural idea amidst writing 
Um, do you, do you just forego that idea or do you reintroduce it back into the outline or how, or how, how do you translate that if you have say an epiphany while you're translating the outline? Well, I will say that, you know, first of all, my goal in writing the outline is to be as thorough as possible so that I, you know, hopefully have foreseen, you know, the, yeah. the wonderful possibilities that are in the story and I don't run into a problem like that later on. Mm-hmm. So if I have, if I have a new idea that hits me it's usually because something's not working in the story and i know i have to fix it so in that case um if it's an obvious fiction i know exactly what i need to do i'll just go ahead and do it but sometimes you know a new idea or a a really big problem it has kind of tentacles throughout Mm -hmm. the story and Mm -hmm. it's going to create a ripple effect yeah so in that case i would sit down and basically kind of just go back to the outlining process with my notebook and my pen and just kind of start working through the problems. What do I have to change to make this work? And then what uh, consequences is that going to have later on? What do I need to change previously to set that up? And kind of just make myself a little beat sheet of yeah. things that I need to change in the outline or whatever I've already written in the first draft. Yeah. Have you ever made any of your outlines available to, any, to anybody? I have, actually. Oh, have? Oh. Um, that was something that a lot of people were curious about. Um, because of my book, Outlining Your Novel. And my outlines, you know, are all there in my notebook, so it's hard ah. for me to share them. But I decided after Storming came out last winter that I would uh, transcribe the whole outline and make that available. So that is available on my site. Actually, anyone who's interested, if you just sign up for my mailing list, you'll get that as well as some other uh, books as well. Very cool. So, yeah. um, and you were talking earlier about structuring your scenes, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you're kind of going through the various beats that a scene has to hit in order to get to a character to make a decision and hit the dilemma and all that stuff. Um, do you go over that structure in, in any of your books, like structuring your novel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually structuring your novel is the, the whole second half of that book is devoted to scene structure. Excellent. So I discuss in depth in that book. Do you find yourself thinking in scenes? Like, do you, do you think <laughs> of them as like Lego blocks that you could sort of piece together um, like you have, a, you have an idea for a scene. You're like, oh, this really works for the story. I'm not sure where it fits, but I know it's going to fit. Do you think of scenes in that way, or are they extremely um, linear, meaning that they they follow a certain you know pattern, like A, B, C, D? Well, when I'm in kind of in the conception stage, where it's it's really subconscious and just in my imagination still, it's not linear at yeah. all. It's just, oh, that you know, some random inspiration will come up, and it, suddenly there's a new scene, and then I have to figure out how they all come together in the outline. When I am outlining, once I've gotten to the scene section, I I try to be as linear as possible because, mm-hmm. you know, everything you set up in the beginning is going to have that ripple effect to mm-hmm. the ending. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, w- is there an appropriate time to be a pantser? And let's def- <laughs> let's define pantser because this is a weird term. We and I've, I've brought it up before on the podcast. But a pantser is someone who just writes by the quote unquote writes by the seat of their pants, where they don't give really any <laughs> forethought to what's going to happen next. They just go for it. Um, do you ever find that an appropriate technique? Well, I actually have this this theory that there isn't technically anything such thing as a pantser or a plotter. Mm, okay, I think we all <laughs> pant sometimes and we all plot sometimes. I think, you know, I, I like to describe my in-depth outlining process as basically it's my first draft mm-hmm. and I'm pantsing it. I'm mm-hmm. figuring it out as I go so that I can use it, you know, to create this refined second draft. Mm-hmm. 
So I think, yes, absolutely. I don't think there's a right and a wrong, the plotting or pantsing. They're both necessary. Plotting is our, our logical brain making sense of everything. And pantsing is our creative brain that's coming in with all of these, you know, great and wonderful and random ideas. Mm-hmm. So they, ha- they have to work together to really create a book. And I think that's, that's kind of goes back to one of the reasons why it's so important for people to find the balance in the process um, for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that they, you know, so that it's something they're comfortable with and they don't feel too blocked in and they don't feel like, you know, they never are able to, to bring in the creativity, which is the whole point of it, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when do you consider an outline successful? <laughs> well, bottom line, when it works. <laughs> but I think for me, um, the bottom line of, of the whole point of the outline and, and whether or not I would consider it successful is when it's when the story structure is there. Yeah. And it's it's complete. I've created this complete whole that I know is I'm gonna is gonna work, and I can then move forward and create a first draft with it. I've you know spotted as many of the major plot problems as possible, yeah. and then be able to successfully navigate them. So to make the first draft as comparatively easy and cohesive as possible. Mm-hmm. When when you start to translate that successful outline to, to, to the actual novel itself. Do you, do you try and get yourself to go into like an autopilot mode where you just write and you don't think too much about, except, I mean, you think more at the line level and, um, and you just let yourself live there instead of really, um, you know, any sort of future projection. Yeah, I would say that's probably a pretty good description. I like to say that the, you know, in a very general sense, you can break the writing process down into four parts, which mm-hmm. is conception, which is totally creative, outlining, which is logical, you know, where you're trying to logically work through all the problems, the first draft, which is again creative, where you've, you know, hopefully got the foundation of logic under you, and you can just kind of unfurl the creativity in the moment of the scene, yeah. and then revision, which again is logical. Yeah. So of those four steps, um, how, how, how long do you spend in each of those? I know conception can, can, those ideas can marinate for a couple of years, but, but like outlining, first draft, and revision, roughly how long do those take you? Or how long do you feel good about spending time in those, <laughs> those uh, um, sections? Well, I will say up front, I am not a super speedy writer. Um, Neither am I. That's which is not, hear. it's not always a popular thing, you know, in today's, yeah. it's not a popular answer because the yeah. money is where the speed is. Sure. But for well. me, I, I always come back to, uh, to the priority, which is making sure I'm creating something that I feel good about. Yeah. So for me, I, um, I spend about three months is pretty average for an outline, and mm-hmm. then I can spend six months or so in research, depending on the project. And then about a year, sometimes less, is pretty average for a first draft for me. That's that's interesting. That's good. I think that's actually a pretty good amount of time. That makes me feel good too. <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of good feels in this podcast <laughs> so far. Um, are, are you self published or published with traditionally? A little bit of both. Um, uh, primarily, I've been independently published. I've uh-huh. had um, one book, one writing book that was published by Writer's Digest. Uh-huh. And then actually, my first ever traditional book was the um, Korean translation of Outlining Your Novel. So I couldn't even read it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a couple international ones that have been traditionally published and uh, the Writer's Digest one. Oh, that's really neat. Interesting. All right. So I would like to ask this before we wrap up. So what are the top three tips you can give me from your book, Structuring Your Novel? Top three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I would say that um, certainly one of the most important ones 
um, that I have found is a huge thing that has revolutionized my writing thanks to structure mm-hmm. would be the timing of the plot points. Mm, okay. I think um, for those who don't know, you can basically break your structure down. If you divide it into eighths, you've got eight turning points or seven turning points at the eighth marks. Um, you've got halfway through the first act, you've got the inciting event. At the end of the first act, at the 25% mark, you've got the first plot point. At the um, quarter of the way into the second act, at the 37% mark, you've got the first pinch point. You've got the midpoint that divides the whole book in half at the 50% mark. You've got the second pinch point at the 62% mark. And then you start the third act at the 75% mark with the third plot point, and you um, divide the the third act um, with the climactic turning point when you turn into the climax in the mm-hmm. last. So if you divide your book down into these eights and you understand the timing of, and what each of these plot points is supposed to do, it makes it so much easier to create this story, mm-hmm. resonant pacing that mm-hmm. works from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, you know, in I do a lot of analysis of um, the structure in books and movies. I've got on my website, I've got something called the Story Structure Database, which is really where I just break down all these stories and point out what the different uh, structural moments do in it. So one of the things that I, I consistently see in stories that kind of struggle, particularly in the beginning, is that those early structural moments are not at their proper timing point. Mm-hmm. Usually they're too late. So you've got this long beginning part where nothing's really happening. Mm -hmm. And if the authors were aware of, you know, the timing of these structural moments and were, you know, able to analyze what they're doing and tighten things up there, that's something that can just totally revolutionize the beginning of your story. So I think if you're if you're able to pay attention to these major plot points and particularly the timing and the way that affects the pacing, that is just a huge game changer in putting together a book that's a resonant whole. Would you say that um, a plot point or a structure point is when a character has to make a decision? Like, how do you define that th- those points that would be in the, you know, that would cr- increase or decrease your timing? Well, the simplest way to describe them would just be to say that they're turning points. They're a point in the story where something happens where the story completely changes in direction. And inevitably, that either is because of or ends up prompting a decision and a new set of actions yeah. on the character's part. So a lot of times it's like where you're getting new information. There's new clues coming in to mm-hmm. the nature of the conflict. And so the character is able to start acting in a different way thanks to the new information that he's received. Gotcha. Now, was that three tips or was that one tip? Yeah, that was one tip. <laughs> okay, so let's go with the second tip. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the second thing that I would say, um, kind of in the same vein, actually, would be how important it is to understand the first act. And I think possibly there's no other part of story structure that is more misunderstood mm-hmm. than the first act. There's, you know, all these ideas that you have to jump into the action right away in Mady's Rays, that you have to mm-hmm. start with your inciting event. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, there's this idea that you maybe you shouldn't be spending the time to set up the conflict because mm-hmm. readers want to get right into it. Mm-hmm. And of course, readers, you know, want to be immediately entertained. And I think that's where we kind of get confused because we, we don't, we, writers sometimes confuse the idea of entertaining readers with conflict and introducing 
the main conflict. Mm-hmm. But really, the whole point of the first act is to set up the story because we need that foundation as we're moving into the main conflict in the second act so that readers are really invested and understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to understand that the inciting event, which is where your main character has his first major brush with the main conflict, that happens actually as the turning point in the middle of the first act at the 12% mark. It doesn't happen in the first uh, chapter, on the first page, mm-hmm. like a lot of people think. What happens on the first page is the hook. It's the first domino in the line of dominoes that creates the whole story, mm. but it's probably not directly related to the main conflict. And that's something that has been, you know, really interesting to me in studying all of these stories for the Story Structure Database, you know, is how clear it is that the main conflict is hardly ever present in the first half of the first act, and especially in the first scene. So I think once people realize that, it really frees you up to create some really great characteristic moments to open your story and you don't have all this pressure to just immediately get to the point. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everything still needs to be pertinent. It needs to be, like I say, these dominoes that lead into the rest of the story. But you're slowly building up to your character's involvement in whatever the main right. story is about. So would you liken maybe the first hook to be somewhat of a butterfly effect where it's, you know, a butterfly flaps wings and that will eventually lead there. But it's, it's not an obvious reference to the, to mm-hmm. the primary conflict in the first act. Yeah, that's, I think that's actually a really great analogy. Cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, so tip three. <laughs> tip number three. Um, again, I would say that the midpoint at the 50% mark is, this is a huge moment in the story. It's in, in a lot of ways, we could even argue it's the most important moment in the whole story mm-hmm. because it's the, it's the middle of the story. It's the major turning point that completely shifts the focus of the story. So the first half of the story is more or less about your character being in reaction mode to everything that's happening to him. Mm-hmm. And then at the midpoint, you have this great moment where he basically experiences what I call the moment of truth. And it's kind of where things become clear to him on a number of levels, both within his character arc and particularly he gains a clear, much clearer understanding of the nature of the conflict and the antagonistic force that he's been fighting. So suddenly he understands things so much more clearly and he's able to then take that information and move more into action mode in the second mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. And it's such a clear paradigm shift and it creates such wonderful opportunities for character development as well as making sure that plots moving there in the middle part of the story so if you can make take full advantage of your midpoint there in the middle of your story then really good things happen in Mm -hmm. your story yeah that's awesome well thanks for sharing that (laughs) (laughs) okay well um so so katie where, where can people find out more about you Okay, well, they can, I hope they will, stop by my blog at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. I uh, post twice a week there, and we have lots of good discussions there in the uh, comments. And I do have a podcast, actually, as well, which mm. is just the, it's the Monday post, the big big post I do on Monday. I also do a transcription of a podcast for people, um, like the listeners of your podcast, who prefer to listen rather than read. Uh-huh. So that, that's the main place. You can also find more about my novels on my author site, which is kmweiland.com. My last name is spelled W-E-I-L-A-N-D. 
Yeah. And I see now I just went on helping writers become authors. That's where the story structure database is. Yes. Yeah. If you look up in the very top toolbar, you'll find the story structure database. Yeah. I'm scrolling through right now. It's very cool. Oh, you even do graphic novels, huh? Uh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. What is this Wolverine? Old man Logan. Oh, yeah. In the database. That's actually a submission from someone else. Ah. I I invite people to submit as well. So my goal is hopefully we'll have, you know, thousands of stories and people can find whatever they're looking for. Yeah, that's great. Well, Katie, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And well, thanks and, for having um, me. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck. I'm, I hope this. Uh, I hope this next novel doesn't doesn't uh, eat <laughs> you down too much more. <laughs> yeah, I think we're on the uphill slide now. Uh, all right, sounds good. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank Katie Wyland or KM Wyland, as she likes to be called. Check out helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com if you want to go from good to great. And on to the giveaway. I'm giving away signed copies of Structuring Your Novel and Outlining Your Novel to three lucky winners. Each winner gets a copy of each, both signed. Totally awesome. Head over to bleedingink.fm. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-I-N-K.fm to enter. Good luck.